Hi guys, I'm Chris. And I'm Mike. And welcome back to No Limits, a Mid-Trap podcast. How you doing today, Mike? Or what are you drinking today, Mike? Yeah, I was going to say, something new for the both of us, you know. Cracked open a, a brew for this one. The third option kind of messes with your head, kind of what the, some of the stuff that happens. So I think I needed a nice, refreshing raspberry sour ale. That's what I got Ooh. going on. How about you? I'm just drinking a boring Miller Lite. There you go. It's a little hot, a hot day. Got up for golf again this morning. So, you and this golf, what is this, round 26? This is round 21. All right. Round 21. Hey, well, um, I'm ready to talk third option with you and get into yes. the themes of this book. But we, we have to pause to shout out a, another Twitter follower. We got a very encouraging message from Mieli at Amor Q Gloria, A-M-O-R-Q-G-L-O-R-I-A. She's a listener from the Philippines. So we are, nice. yeah, we are definitely international. We are multinational. That is pretty cool. And, um, it's all because of executive power. She's very excited for us to get to that book because the Philippines figure prominently in it and a Filipino general plays a major role. And yep. so, as we said before, we're going to take a break in August next month to get to Lethal Agent. We're excited to do something special for the rollout of Total Power in September. And then October, we'll get back on track in publication order with Separation of Power and so we'll get to executive power in November. So that's our, our 2020 reading list right there for you. So thanks for listening, uh, Mieli from the Philippines. Right. And so what are we covering today? Today, we're going to be going into our second part of the deep dive into Vince's book, The Third Option. And we will be talking about some of the themes that we gathered from the books, talk about maybe some of our favorite characters, have some questions for you, Mike. Um, you have some questions for me. And then we'll finish with our zero sum game. I'm curious how you rated this one. I haven't actually talked to you or seen what your final rating was. So um, I don't know. See if we're on the same page or not there. But before we get there, I have a quick hot take. I, I want to throw this at you. It popped into my mind and I was like, hey, remind me to, to bring this up. Do you think that the third option would have worked better coming immediately after term limits as if it were a kind of sequel to term limits? without having transfer of power in the middle. And that idea came to me because I was thinking how much I liked seeing Rapp and Coleman together at this baseball game, that scene. Right. And I really liked how Michael O'Rourke played a role again. You know, I was kind of wondering, where is this awesome, badass congressman in transfer of power? Does he have anything to say about the events of transfer of power? We didn't see his perspective. And then Scott Coleman, he was our blonde haired assassin. You know, something resonated in term limits about him and Stansfield cutting a deal at the end, you know, where Stansfield was going to let Coleman off the hook for the assassinations. But Coleman took care of Mike Nance for Stansfield, got him out of the way. And so I, I thought I wanted to see that relationship of Coleman running some ops for Stansfield. Uh, you know, I would want to see that continue after term limits, but transfer power almost gave us a complete 180. And thankfully it introduced rap, right? But what do you think of this idea that third option could have worked right after term limits? Yeah, no, when you broached this to me, I thought it was interesting to think about because I, I struggled to think, we, we asked ourselves this question, right? During our term limits episode was like, what is Mitch Rapp doing during this time? And if you think of that, both of those happening at the same time or roughly, I guess they're, 
there sequentially because there's a different president, right? But you have these players that are all in the same universe. I would have, I thought it would, I agree with you. I think that it would have done better coming before transfer power. I, I think also, I mentioned this to you that because this book is very much like Mitch is a spy, like this badass spy, not so much. He's also a badass operator, right? At the end, that's his action or whatever. But definitely in the beginning of the book, we see Mitch as a CIA spy. And that tone, especially if you're reading these like we are in publication order and not chronologically, it would be cool. To, it would have been cool to see like that progression of Mitch and then going into transfer power and, and building upon his skill, you know, building upon his skills, knowing like how he's able to move around the White House and stuff like that in transfer power. So, yeah, I agree with you that I think that the book could have worked better beforehand. Introducing rap during a White House takedown was freaking awesome. Like, yeah, no, don't get me wrong. I, I, I enjoy it, but just like for a thought experiment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Same. Like it was so badass, and like the introduction of Aziz and knowing the history he has with Aziz, like nailed it. And I was just wondering if there was more of a connection between term limits and the third option than there is transfer of power and the third option. It seemed it would have flowed a lot better. But if, if you think about the opposite, a couple of problems would have come up like Anna, right? Rap has to meet Anna really through the White House right. uh, story. And then also Stansfield being in poor health. A couple of things that, that would have been out of order. Yeah. But you know what's cool is you mentioned we're wondering where Rap was during term limits. And, and so it's awesome that Vince could, uh, could bring him into the fold of this universe that he set up so well with term limits. Third option is where he finally does that. He brings the term limits universe and characters that we loved together with rap. Let's first break down some of the themes that we sort of thought were prevalent in this book. And the first one that came to mind to me was, and it's pretty prevalent, I think, in most of these novels, but this idea of terrorism, both internationally and domestically, and that there needs to be something that needs to be done about it, right? That is the whole premise of why the Orion team was created, why these two sides of the party sort of developed this third option to combat this idea, of, you know, the problem that is terrorism. And so we see that play out and it, it, it'll build more in the next book, but Count Hagemiller is the money guy for, we'll find out, you know, Saddam Hussein, right? And, you know, so the government is very, you know, we just had a terrorist attack on home soil at the White House, right? So this is very much a problem, not only in our universe, but in Mitch's universe. And Mitch is being, has been, is driven by the Pan Am, downing of Pan Am Lockerbie. So how well do you think Vince, like, plays upon this idea of, like, terrorism and, and how we tackle it? Well, I think that's the key. The last point you mentioned of how we tackle it. I don't think this book is doing anything new by saying there are terrorists out there, right? But I think what he's doing here is shifting from reaction to being proactive, where transfer of power, we get hit. Aziz made his move, right? He made his move with the Pan Am uh, flight years before, and he made his move taking the White House. It's masterful to introduce and play with the third option while you're also saying we are now going to be proactive in 
fighting terrorism in a covert way. The opening scene in Germany is cool for what it is and how it's written, but it's even more cool because we're taking the initiative, right? We are given the green light. And I think this is largely due to Thomas Stansfield and President Hayes' strong relationship and trust for one another that Hayes authorizes, uh, well, one, the Orion team to be created, which has been in the works already for a while, but he's authorizing missions like this one, not even being proactive in going after the terrorists, but being proactive in going after the funding sources, even if they're in our ally countries, uh, you know, very developed, very advanced modern countries who are our allies. President Hayes is kind of putting a stop to that and saying the third option is in full swing, even against the royalty or nobility, you know, the count in a friendly country. If you are linked financially to supporting and funding terrorism, I think Vince does a great job saying we're going to take the proactive stance and uh, get the job done. Right. The next thing that I just wanted to bring out is that this book really sort of focuses, at least for the first two thirds of the book, you know, obviously we have like the action at the end with Anna and being kidnapped and, and all that stuff. This idea of CIA operations and the clandestine service, right? And so we know that Vince does very in-depth research. And I think this book is, again, another example of great research. And, you know, he shows his in-depth knowledge of how CIA stuff actually works, like the minute details in the Hagenmiller assassination, the minute details in how Mitch escapes from Germany into France. I, I really liked, I, that was one of the highlights of this book that I really enjoyed. Um, and then to add on that, I think that Vince sort of, at least when I think about this book, is reminds me a lot of Ludlum's work and specifically the, the Bourne series. And I feel like this is heavily influenced from that, especially the scene uh, in France to Germany. It, it really reminded me of the Bourne identity. And and you even mentioned to me that you, you thought that Irene Kennedy would have been a good you know, reminded you of a character in the Bourne movies, right? Yeah. Uh, was it Pam? Who was Pam, the... Pam Landy, yeah. But anyway, she's a ranking official in the CIA leadership in the hierarchy. And I thought Pam Landy would have been a great Irene Kennedy. I really saw a parallel between those two roles, just the way they handled their assets in the field, the way they handled intelligence reports um, and read the scene on the ground so well, even from an office. I guess it was Born Identity, if I'm not mistaken, where Jason Bourne knows that he's being hunted by people on the inside and is trying to expose them and get to the bottom of this, where he sets up with a sniper on the rooftop. Supremacy. To her supremacy. Window. That was Born Supremacy. He's yeah. looking into the window and he has, you know, his scope on her and he calls her up. Well, I feel like in this rap sneaks up on Stansfield, right? He's, right. He, uh, he corners Stansfield, Kennedy and Coleman, gets the upper hand and puts them to the gun, if you will, to tell him the truth. That scene definitely made me think of what rap is doing here. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. And in the movies and in the books too, although the only one that's this somewhat similar is the first book, Identity to Identity. They they really, they don't take upon the second book. The movie becomes its own entity. But in the movies, we don't, we only know Jason, what Jason Bourne knows, right? We don't really, we know a little bit about like Blackbriar from like cutscenes, but we're we're finding it out as Jason's really finding it out, right? Uh, in the books, that's not that we know that Irene Kennedy didn't put a hit hit out on him, or at least like I guess I don't. Know, did you ever? I never 
any point did you think she was lying or that Heron Stansfield were lying that they didn't kill Mitch? As a reader, no. Like as a reader, it was pretty clear that Vince is bouncing between these different storylines. And so we pretty much know Stansfield and Kennedy are talking about this saying, who did this? It wasn't us. We would have never done that. So it's pretty clear to the reader, but I really buy into the fact that rap wouldn't be so sure. Like I could see some people walking away from this book saying, why would rap not trust his boss Kennedy? They have a great relationship. Well, again, it's only the second time we've seen them in action, right? True. We did not have American assassin. We don't know the origin story, you know, if we're going in publication order. So I could see modern readers who know the whole rap saga and who may have started with the later books being like, oh, Rap and Kennedy so tight, right? Like that's right. That's the teams like, you know, older sister mentor kind of, kind of thing. Right. Yeah. He even describes her as a sister sometimes I feel like. Yeah, exactly. But here it's totally believable. We haven't seen what they've been through together in detail. So it's totally plausible that Rap is considering she put out a hit on him as a way to get rid of him. He also knows, he knows the industry, right? Right. He knows that um, assassins are expendable, especially when they've run their course and when they start talking about getting out. Like he would, it would not be beyond the realm of possibility that a hit is put out by, from the inside. So I believe, I believed him and what he was going through, but not as a reader. I, I didn't think for one minute that Stansfield and Kennedy were being fishy. Vince never really leads us on to that, right? Like, True. He's very black and white or objective in good and bad. And that could be a fault maybe of his writing to some extent. But um, in this case, it's definitely not a fault. Like we want to know the good guys and their solace and comfort in reading these books, knowing Kennedy and rap are always going to be a team. Right. Yeah. So, and then finally, I guess related to this, but it could be a different theme is you brought this up sort of yesterday in our last podcast about you have the third option as you know what Mitch does and then you also have the third option in how Mitch can get out right so we have this whole subplot of Mitch wants to get out Mitch because he met this girl and he even mentioned it before he met Anna that he he was done he, he needed to get out of this business but now he is more motivated to get out of this business and so this is at the end of the story. He does get this third option <laughs> to become come into the fold, be part of the CIA in a known quantity, and it's a little safer that way. Yeah, exactly. And I, I never thought of it that way. Yeah, and that that just came to me as I was reflecting on the book and thinking of that with Stansfield as a boss. There's so much power involved in his position. And he could look at an operative like Rap, who's run his course and is starting to crazy talk about getting out. He could look at him as expendable and on to the next. We put our resources into his program and the Orion program, lock it up. It's done. My time's over. But Stansfield is better than that. He finds that that third option out of that moral dilemma as a way to let Rap work for and in the CIA, not as clandestine or that high level top secret classification and he gives him an option it, it, he'll struggle to to actually fully get out and, and and we'll we'll see that play out in the books but and in the end there is no such thing as getting out as right we know exactly and as we see we'll see that too he yes he's now 
people know his he's Mitch Rapp and not Mitch Cruz when he goes to these meetings, right? Um, or I don't know, I forget if he actually uses his real name, but they know his face. And and then later on when we get introduced like the character of Mike Nash, he wants Mike Nash to be like the the face of the of the, of the agency while he's able to take a back seat and be more secretive, you know. That's what and a lot of people don't consider Nash as one of the main important characters you know of the whole entire rap saga but i love when we get to that storyline because this whole rap contemplating getting out it's almost like knowing that he's guiding and advising mike nash and mike nash can do it and can get out and can take the public accolades that he deserves and can be a public figure to show the good of what these services have done it's kind of a closure for rap, you know, because he couldn't do that and he'll never be able to do that, but he's at least able to say, I, I mentored and got Mike Nash to be able to do it and live his life and be a family man that he always wanted to. So rap kind of lives through Nash in that regard. So anyway, that's why he's, he's an important character to me in the end that often gets forgotten. I think. Yeah, no, I, I wish, cause I feel like the first book that he's introduced, he's almost the main character in that book. We'll, we'll get to this obviously, but and then he sort of, because because he, where how he transitions, he becomes sort of more of a side character. But I wish we got to see more of him because I really liked him. He's, I think we both when we filled out our fan profile, we we both put pick Mike Nash as our favorite. You know, not like without picking like Mitch Rapp or Ryan Kennedy, the big three, know. the big two, the, or big, the big three. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you know, I wanted to be a little. That's how I interpret that question. It'd be so hard to do like a, a Q&A where someone's like, what's your favorite book? What's your favorite character? Because my first reaction was rap, consent to kill, American assassin. But at the same time, I want to like find that edgy thing, you know, like who's my favorite that's not the the big shot or the big shots. And th- that's hard. Scott Coleman. Yeah. Because he's also, while my, like, I don't know. I don't want to call him minor guess mid-major like we have secondary no he's not even secondary he's primary (laughs) he's primary yeah that's a hard classification to make if you were to make primary secondary tertiary characters yeah that that secondary category would be like marcus is definitely a secondary character because he's he comes in and out you know true i do like marcus but hold on If, if you think in terms of the importance to the mission and especially in third option he is primary on the importance to the True. mission. True. Yeah, that, that's why this is so hard. It's so hard. so hard. In terms of yeah. writing and literature, yeah, he'd be a secondary character, but like rap would never be able to hunt down the professor or make that phone call to uh, Villam or any of these things without, without going to Marcus. And when he escaped Germany, Marcus was the first and only one he could trust. True. So it's like, man, we get these secondary characters that you just, you just cherish and, I guess you could put the primary characters as Mitch and Kennedy. True. They're really the only two main primary characters. And then you have Coleman at the top. And you have the secondary characters that are Coleman, Stan Hurley, uh, Thomas Stansfield, even though he's only in four or five books, but all the other characters that we see in multiple books across. And then like, I would say tertiary characters are ones that are only in one, maybe in two. Yeah. Like in this probably, a Peter, like Cameron, Peter Cameron, the professor. Yeah, exactly. The, um, you know, like, yep, exactly. So. Well, I mean, maybe that's a good thing to flesh out for a bonus episode when we're like halfway through all of these books, we take all the characters we met so far and kind of classify them or give our take on them. Yeah, that's a good idea. Cool. Right. So the, the third thing that I wanted to 
point out as a, as a theme from this book is Vince really begins to show this idea of political warfare. And particularly, this is the first time that we see a political player as the main villain. We've mentioned this before how he often chooses political players as like the secondary villains, the ones who are corrupt, you know, whatever. But here we have one that is really driving the, you know, he, he is the bad guy. He's the one behind every, he's the big bad, right? And also in, in the pre- two previous books where we had vice presidents and we had chief of staff, chief of staffs who were doing these other stuff, they, I want to say they were idiots, but they, they weren't as masterful as I feel like Clark is. Clark is very intelligent, calculated. He knows what he's getting at. I feel like Nance and Stu Garrett wanted, like, their idea of themselves was what Clark is, but they, they didn't actually achieve that. Yeah. So far, we've seen these politicians, I would say, who were, they were certainly manipulative, like Stu Garrett, but they were manipulative in the sense of politician speak, right? Like, manipulate the media or how do we change public opinion on this you know they were maybe cruel in some ways but hank clark here we see as being evil right we haven't seen a pure politician yet that represents so much calculating malicious evil with evil intent i mean a lot of these secondary villains the politicians so far have wanted power right they all talk about moving up or getting recognized or gaining more authority but it seems so far in this like soft political speak kind of way hank clark especially at the ending which wasn't my favorite as we're going to get to um in a little bit but at the ending when he's clinking his glass and he's just kind of toying and thinking rap might have won this battle or gotten the upper hand you're kind of like he's got some bad stuff planned and as we know he's going to be that primary villain motivating behind the scenes yeah, at least the next book so at least the next book and so uh, yeah hank clark is uh is doing something new and while i didn't like in this book every conversation he had a lot of them were filled with some fluff and these, these complex machinations that i couldn't quite sift through as a reader that clearly he still represents a really good character to bring in at this point of the, of the journey. You know, that, that really pure evil politician with power, with authority, and with a public persona that is secretly running, uh, running the show. Right. And I guess related to that, uh, you sort of brought this up to me, this idea of throwaway or cleanup culture in the spy world or in the operator world. You know, we don't really see that ever really happen with Mitch and like the CIA planning that, but I'm, it definitely probably happens, but we clearly see it here that they just have this hire somebody to, you know, Cameron kill the Jansons or Cameron actually supposed to hire someone else to kill the Jansons, but he wants to do it himself. And then boom, hire someone else, Doozer to kill the people who killed the Jansons. And then, Oh, I need to get rid of Cameron because he's a bumbling idiot and knows too much. So boom, kill Cameron, you know, like what like uh, I, that kind of stuff to me made it, them seem a little bit more as one ruthless, but also more amateurs yep. to not pick people that you you either don't trust yep. or that you think will turn on you. You know, like that that to me is way more amateurism than what Mitch would do. Right? He's going to pick somebody if he needs to do something. He, one, he's either going to do it himself, or he's going to pick people that he trusts. 
Yep. Whereas here, they're just, you know, contract for hire. Yep. He wouldn't, Rap wouldn't even waste his time on somebody that he think would make any number of these mistakes. You know, he wouldn't waste his time, wouldn't give him the light of day, he'd move on. So it does expose that amateur handling of the professor, this Peter Cameron, and almost the amateur, for, for being such a good villain, Hank Clark, how he's an amateur in terms of actually hiring and executing these operations. He might be good at the political backdoor kind of, kind of stuff, but it definitely exposes him as an amateur getting into the assassination game. So that what you just described bothered me about this book. You know how much I love these books and Vince Flynn, but I do want to do a, somewhat of a job critiquing them as well. I think we're necessary right. on the podcast, not to come down hard on them, but who would really enjoy a review that's pure cheerleader, right? That just right. always makes these the best thing since sliced bread. I, I think he's the best writer in this genre of the last 30 years, you know, um, except for some of the classics, you know, before him. But I still want to be able to cr critique what I think deserves criticism. And this is certainly it. Uh, just that trope of getting rid of one assassin and move on to the next and then hire the next, then hire the next. It just muddied the waters. It was a little too murky for me. And especially in the context of what Hank is doing already with Secretary of State Middleton and what he's doing with Congressman Rudin, you mix that in with all of this kind of stuff. And it just got too murky that I kept asking myself in the middle of the book, where's rap and when are we going to do something cool? So, right. Yeah. You had a problem with like the middle of the book and the, the pacing the the pacing of, of that stuff i didn't as much as you do but now that you like have highlighted it i i, I tend to agree because i think i think we both agree that the beginning of this book up until rap gets back to stansfield house is, is is amazing fantastic and then like the action at the end of it is is amazing and so how can we get from a to z <laughs> you know better in a sense right let me ask you something and uh, this this was something you brought up earlier in one of our discussions. I'm thinking of the role of bodyguards, these security personnel who we know are nowhere near as trained as a rap or a Coleman for clandestine ops. They're just your average run of the mill. I don't want to say security guard, but a little higher up than that, right? Whether it's secret service uniform division, whether it's a bodyguard that's hired personally uh, on a contract basis, whether it's an FBI agent, do you, how do you think we should think about this role? Because often we see these people as very expendable. They're killed on the spot or five are taken out going into a mission to get to the, the actual person you want. I understand in terms of like terrorists, right? Thinking the Farah Harut scene in Transfer Power, mow down as many of those guys as you want because they come out of their houses with AK-47s the moment they hear noise. Like they obviously are protecting a terrorist. But what about here, like Count Hagenmiller, his bodyguards, Rap doesn't want to kill them. He even takes one who's he incapacitated and drags him into another room so he won't die from the fire. At Stansfield House, obviously, since they're American and CIA personnel, he embarrasses this one guy who lets him, uh, right. lets him onto the property with the, with the scheme he had with the dog. So Rap does want to protect these guys, not hurt them. But he makes a very serious lesson out of this one CIA guard watching Stansfield House. He makes him walk in with his pants tied around his ankles. You know, he uses him as a human shield. He knocks him out and says, you dummy. 
you know, how could you let me in like this, follow your protocol and your training? How are we supposed to think about that type of character? It's interesting because I either I've, I put this in my head or I've, I've read it in one of these novels. I feel like Vince or Mitch, or Vince writing as Mitch, uh, characterizes certain people differently, right? If it's a bodyguard, like you said, of a terrorist, of the big bad, you know, someone who knew what they were getting into, then he has no problem. If, if he has to take out that person, he has no problem taking out the bodyguards too, because probably that bodyguard is trained to one raise his weapon and, and be firing at Mitch if he's coming at his contract. Now the difference is when you have bodyguards of just random people that, yeah, maybe they're a bad dude. Hagen Miller is the money guy, but his bodyguard might, he just knows that he's a, a banker or he knows that he's, you know, he has a lot of money. He's some rich dude. And I think that's the difference that we get with rap that he tries to actively. And obviously Americans who don't you know, innocent people. Yeah. He, the guy did something bad. He shouldn't have let him in or, you know, he wasn't adequately trained or wasn't using his training properly. The difference between like, let's say Peter Cameron and, or even like, you know, someone, some other operator, Doozer at rap is that Doozer would have just killed. He would have walked in there to Hagen Miller's house and killed everybody. You know, he would have shot the bodyguard and then came in, you know? Um, but rap's not that kind of guy. If, unless he has like a personal vendetta against you or he needs to take someone out. And that person is, you know, like I said, like Aziz's body, if Aziz had bodyguards or if like, when we go to the rap house, he's like, I'm killing these motherfuckers. You can't stop me. Who cares what, if they knew the whole thing that like why we took Anna and so like, I'm, I'm killing every last one of them. That's his wiring in his brain is different. I'm with you. And even in that case, the scene at Rap's house and the takedown, I feel like he could have been more sympathetic to them like he was the other ones, except one, it was personal. They got Anna and he already told Scott Coleman, I'm taking them all. But at the same time, they also impersonated FBI agents, right? And whether or not they were, you know, they had government plates, so they might've had some sort of official designation. That automatically right there in Rap's mind makes them complicit. Like you were saying, if you are somebody who is complicit and you know what you're defending, you're eligible, right. you know, you could be taken out. Well, in this case, just because they might have actually been government officials doesn't matter. They knowingly lied about it to capture Anna. They knowingly took her, their fair game. I, yep. Yeah, I'm glad to hear your, your take on that. I always wondered that, what you thought about that, because we're talking a throwaway culture and how that's so amateur of Peter Cameron, the professor, and Hank Clark to just move on to the next assassin, shoot him. We don't need him anymore. Well, does, do we sometimes have the good guys doing that with these random people they shoot through to get to a target? But True. I think we do see, we see enough discrimination in terms of who is complicit, who isn't. And rap does go out of his way to protect those who we can if they are innocent. So, right. Yeah. All right. So next thing we want to talk about is who are some of you, I just want to ask you, who are some of your favorite characters in the book? Maybe major, minor, just off the bat, who who are some of the people you really liked out of this book? Besides, you know, again, our big three. Well, I can't really think to someone that I loved outside of the people we already knew and loved. But a few who fortified their position were Marcus Dumond. To me, I know you loved him straight off the bat, out of the gate. He really solidified his skills and position here. In Transfer of Power, 
I knew how good he was and I watched him right. on the comms and set up the comms and uh, run those, but he didn't quite demonstrate that level of confidence, that level of skill. He could have just been any other hacker who's like, here, take this microphone, clip it on, you know, but in this book, he's, he's checking cell phone towers. He's digging through CIA. You see files. his expertise in action. It's in action. Yep. We see him on the ground. Even he's given live Intel from the van, right? Right. He's keeping up with the mission in live time, relaying information to rap and helping him and Coleman put the pieces together to make on the ground decisions. We haven't seen that level of involvement from Marcus yet. And once again, I keep saying it, but just the fact that rap went to him, just the fact that he went to him first and sought him out automatically, you're going to be my buddy. Right. 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 <laughs> even when you thought the CIA turned on you, rap trusted Dumond. I trust Dumond. Right. So how about you? What, who were some, who were some characters that stood out to you? I wish that we had gotten to see, you know, because Stansville is sort of going down and I realize that there needs to be a transition to bring Irene more into the fold. And I think there are two books where we really see two of the three books that we really see Stansfield in who he is. Um, it was kind of sad that, you know, we know that his time is coming to an end. I, I liked our progression with Anna as a character. I feel like we learned a little bit more about her in this novel and how, you know, her sort of inner workings, thinking about Mitch and her relationship uh, with him and, and how that needs to potentially change. In the first novel, yes, we got, you know, her backstory, whatever, and she was a person that needed to be saved. But here we get a little bit more, we begin to see her and Mitch's relationship sort of take a next step. I, I like the, the villain in this one. I, I liked, no, no, not like the, not, I didn't like Peter Cameron. Peter Cameron was just like, you know, like I said yesterday, Peter Cameron was Zach Galifianakis with a gun. <laughs> But, he, did an, he did enough, though, like for not really liking Peter Cameron as a character or liking who he was. I still think it was a good call by Vince to make a character who's eager to get into the action. True. Kennedy is so staunch on I run the ops on the intelligence and Mitch and Coleman are so much we're the assets on the ground. We're not going to interrupt their work. And Kennedy's like, and Kennedy and Stansfield are, I'm not going to interrupt their calls on the ground. If they make the call, it's the right call. That black and white of like the office work versus the field work. Well, I think Vince did a smart play with the professor wanting to try to merge those. He wanted to be the academic. He was a professor of intelligence and he had experience doing that. He was so eager to get into the field. And I think making that a big flaw of his I think is realistic. I think that was good to show there are people who, because of their pride, their hubris, or just their excitement, it overtakes them. Like he thought he could follow rap in the forest in Germany. What an right. idiot. So yeah, from the get go, I'm thinking this is going to be a really trained person. If they snuck up on rap in the forest, I mean, rap heard them, but, and then we learn it was him and he's just some dude. He's actually Vince describes it as an overweight professor who wants to get into the game. I'm like, come on, bro come on, this is not going to end well for you. And ice pick to the ear doesn't end well for him. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely not. Yeah. But I liked, I liked Hank Clark and I thought, you know, I, I, I'll we'll like, we'll talk about him more in the next book, but I liked bringing him in as, you know, again, sort of bringing that secondary villain to the forefront of the politicians and making him this intelligent guy who is going to be pulling the strings. You know, he's going to go across the party lines to manipulate two Democrats to essentially get him to do what he wants him to do, which is become president, right? He, he wants to take down the CIA, make 
uh, Hayes look bad and then be able to walk in to the office, right? Yeah. So I, I, I like that bringing in this fresh type of villain as opposed to the having Aziz. I like Aziz as a, a better, as a, he's a better villain, obviously, but I like the, the new type of villain we got here. You know, one other character before we move on, I don't want to say too much because she plays a big role, Donatella. I think yeah. we get a pretty compelling introduction to who she is without giving too much. It's one of those like very subtle cliffhangers. The ending of this book is a very direct on the nose cliffhanger that maybe I could have done without, but Donatella's introduction is a very subtle cliffhanger that makes you want more. Like when we learn she had this, um, background as a druggie and she was getting into some bad stuff and she was running out of options and relapsing. Masad was there and Masad, Masad was almost like this a father figure, this big, this mentor that saved her, the savior uh, figure really where Donatella could have gone down a really bad path and she already was, but Masad was willing to be patient and saw something in her. Now, are they manipulating her? Are they taking a young, vulnerable person and, you know, kind of putting a gun in their hand and shipping them off? They kind of are. They're taking advantage of her. But at the same time, they're giving her a new life. They also have the patience as she relapses. They, they are with her every step of the way saying, we'll pull you out of this. We'll train you. And we'll financially support you. We'll mentally support you. And we'll get you back on your feet. And so Masad was kind of in it for the long game prepping and training Donatella to become this super agent. And so I, I do want to know more. Also, you know, she's a, she's a vixen, right? Like we see her in Milan wearing these heels. She's in the fashion industry. She's a model. And so we really want to know more about this supermodel turned super agent. But I could also agree with people who see that as a, as a cheap stereotype, kind of like we're going to introduce a female character. She's going to be a really cool, badass agent. But guess what? We have to make her a pretty model wearing heels. So I could see that critique as well of Donatella. So what do you think? Were, were we set up to really want to know more about Donatella here? Yeah, I, I think so. And we'll, we'll, in time, we'll, we'll learn more about her, more about her backstory. But yeah, it was a nice like sort of slow introduction to Donatella in, in the whole of Roger's story. All right, so Mike, I, got, I had one question about not only this book, but all of Flynn's book in general. Do you think that Vince Lynn's style of including background for almost all of his characters, do, does it take away from the story's tension? As in, are we, are we getting too much? Like, we, we yeah. want to hit that Goldilocks zone of giving you enough to buy into the character, but not so much that it becomes as technical as like a you know, as technical as Tom Clancy is with military ships or as uh, Jack Carr is with, you know, savagery, we want to hit that Goldilocks zone of just enough detail. Is that kind of what you're asking? Right. Like you're, you're reading a story and then boom, the next chapter will start off with a character and he goes into, I don't know, four to five page background. And then it, you know, it does slow the pace a little bit. Um, we have, exalted that in the past and I, I believe like that's one of the reasons why you have a problem with the middle of this book is because we get a lot of that right we get a lot of these smaller characters so that's why i just asked this question is what do you think like maybe is it a book by book case where yes we like it but sometimes it can be too much yeah you know what i, I think that's it what i thought bogged down the pacing was too many of these not even secondary but tertiary characters being thrown at us and 
I think for this particular book, yeah, that was a little overwhelming. And a few of them we got detail on that we didn't really need. As a whole, I'm totally fine. And it's masterful how Vince does do it. For example, term limits. When we first met Senator Fitzgerald, I was so excited to get like a three-page description of him as this fat cat politician. And then he dies right away. And I thought it was amazing. And it got me. So I'm okay with one, how Vince does it. And I'm okay with how often he gives us background on a character. I think my issue here was, like you said, more book specific, that it got bogged down by the number of tertiary hired help assassins coming in, coming out, getting mentioned, moving on. And it's only because it was also happening at the same time as we were getting that with congressmen. So we were getting a little muddied in Secretary of State Middleton, Congressman Rudin, and this other person they meet with at the Capitol. And so I think between that plus this throwaway culture of the assassins, that was too many characters at once. Not necessarily too much detail about those characters. I appreciate that. So I I do find it interesting, though, that we don't really get that for Peter Cameron. We get a brief description of like who, what his you know, he calls him overweight, right? And we know that he works at GW. And I, mean, I guess intentionally, we don't want to know too much about him because he's the professor. He's like, over time, we realize he's not the one actually pulling the strings. But we don't get a whole backstory. We don't, you know, we know that he used to be in the CIA. We don't know about that time in the CIA or any sort of other stuff. Do you think that's interesting that he chose not to give us like as detailed of a background for him? You know, it might make sense in this case because he is that singular character. So you you might want that one detail of him being overweight or that one detail of him thinking he could be both be in the CIA and know stuff and then also be a professor. Like, I think he is so singular in that, that it's okay and it works for him. He would, he would be another character I would critique if we got a ton of expose on his background just because I didn't need it. I didn't want it. He, he was set up to play the role he was set up to play. And I was okay with that. So, you know, question for you while we're on the level of detail, how do you feel about how much detail and description is given to the settings of a lot of the scenes in the book? You know, whether it's the forest in Germany or even uh, Rap's house when they're going over the layout of the property and how they're going to carry out the mission, depending on where the tangos are inside the house. How do you feel Vince Balance is giving us too much detail on a setting versus not enough where we we don't have the full imaginary picture in our mind. I think for the most part, he does a pretty good job of it. And I think that what he does, it leads it to be a better story. I do know that there, I have read some uh, stories in this you know genre where the technical detail, especially when they're talking about weapons or sometimes a ship or boat or aircraft, and, you know, I'm sure, like, there's military people out there who are reading these and they're, like, friggin' love that shit. Because I don't know it as much, you know, yeah. it, it bogs me down a little bit. I, I don't think Vince does that as much as other people do. And for me, personally, I appreciate it. Although I do, I'm, in, I'm intrigued about learning about some of these stuff. So I, I don't, don't want it at all. But I think he does a good job of sort of having the balance. And I, I, I enjoy, like, the descriptions of a scene in, of a forest in Germany or of his house or of Stancy's house, you know, describing like some sort of mahogany uh, or, you know, the leather, whatever, that allows you to think about the picture much better. Yeah. I think you use the right term balance because I too appreciate that. 
in moderation. And it's like the helicopter scenes that we've gotten. Vince doesn't go crazy telling us about the manufacturer of how many cylinders or valves there are in the engine or whatever, how many liters the fuel tank right. is. Like it's just enough, but he does but teach he tells us about you how many we have, yep. and where they're going to come from, yep. and how many pilots, and that the pilots are damn good. And I like that kind of yep. stuff. And the model, he tells us the model. Yeah. You know, if there are any moderations made to it, and I can follow along with that stuff. Yep. But I can't follow along with oh, this gun has this thing and, and these does six it. attachments. Yeah, that <laughs> serve I, this purpose. Yeah, I guess some people though are like that, and um, I mean, the master was like you said, Tom Clancy. So it's like I think Vince Flynn is, mod- is modernizing and simplifying in a sense, and I think that draws in a more modern reader. But I have read stories where we go in the complete opposite, where we have none of that, and it leads to That's a true. pretty boring story and tough reads. You yeah, know? yeah, I certainly agree. Um, I'm gonna grab another raspberry sour ale, and then uh, let's get to our winners and losers. That sounds good. All right, so let's finish this up with our winners and losers, or how we like to call it here on Midtrap Pod, the zero-sum game. So, Chris, what did you think was the best in terms of action? In terms of action? Either, you know, Hagen Miller's death scene or, uh, you know, Mitch taking the, the house at the end. Or even like Don Teleron killing uh, Peter Cameron. That was that was kind of an intense scene. You know, like Mitch running down the, the corridor. She's, you know, because you, you think like, oh, is he going to get to her before she does? Those three scenes to me were, were what I thought the best. But what I liked more about this book was not the action. It was more like seeing Mitch as a spy. And as we mentioned before, very different than the first novel uh, in that sense. Um, and I also, on to piggyback that i like the descriptions of the spycraft and how spies actually go about running if there is a burn notice for them so that's what i really thought was best about this book what about you mike yeah i'll agree that was intriguing almost the the philosophical aspect of the third option and when it plays out in real time whose lives are at stake and caught in the crossfire i thought that was a really intriguing setting to put the story into you're right the few action scenes we got were great don't forget, not just the house scene at Rap's own house, but the Stansfield house scene. That might have been right, my absolute right. favorite because it combined that spycraft perfectly when Rap picks up this dog. I'm like, what the hell does Rap want a dog for? Is, is Anna really bugging him that hard about settling down? But then he, he goes jogging on this trail and ends up behind Stansfield's house. I'm like, oh boy. So him uh, going into his boss's house, I thought was pretty awesome. Now, I know, I know you're not going to have as much to say for this, but what, what didn't you like? What do you think did not work out? So I think I'd have to agree with you with, and while this is very traditional to a Vince Flynn novel with the jumping back and forth between both Mitch and our people, the CIA, and then oftentimes the villain, I think for this, because there were so many characters, there was multiple different assassins going at one time. There was, you know, Mitch wasn't with Irene or, or Stansfield. So like they were separated going back and forth a lot to me, slowed down the middle of this book. And that was the problem for me. And this actually brought me to thinking about something that I wanted to broach to you on this pod. And so Vince uses the choice of an omniscient third person, right? So that we have an omniscient point of view. So does the reader know too much about each character? That, that's the first question. And then 
what if this novel was told from the first person and not the third? Like, what if we only saw, I mean, I guess it doesn't have to be the, the first person, but like, mm-hmm. we, what if we only saw what Mitch knew? You know, we, we didn't have these cutbacks. Like, what, how would you feel about this book? Would you feel about it differently than how you, I saw your rating. Uh, I know what you did. You don't know what I, I wrote it, but like, would you feel about this book differently? That's a good question. So do you know if there, are there any of these books where Mitch is really um, in the first person where he's narrating his own thoughts and whatnot? Like, I, I don't think so. I don't think so. The, what, what caused me to think about this, I've read a few, there's like 30 of them, but I've read like nine or 10 of the Jack Reacher series, Lee, Lee Child's Jack Reacher series. And he's actually played around. I don't know if it continues, but at least within the first like seven or 10 books, one will be first person. Mm. and one will be a third person and then like two will be third person and then we'll go back to first person and so at first that like that was kind of jarring to me like going back and forth but it was kind of cool because it, it really dictated how you felt about the story you know you could so, yeah never be with the you, you could only be with the villains if if your main character was there and also like i i, I i'm going to mention this here like in harry potter yes it's not first person but we're only ever see I'm, I'm almost positive. We only ever see scenes with Harry. And when we don't see scenes with him, it's because he's having a dream or it's because he's having a vision uh, because of his connection with, with Voldemort or whatever. So in, in the novels, not in the, this is not how they do it in the movies. So you're saying what if, what if we had a rap book where we don't know what the other characters are thinking or scheming? We only see it from rap's point of view. Yeah, exactly. Either that, or it would be completely first person. Like we we are in Rap's head. Well, I guess we kind of are in Rap's head sometimes, but like I think we're in Rap's head because that omniscient narrator is so right. detailed and so thorough that we almost feel as if it's first person. So I feel like with Rap, that's well, it's really well done. I I don't know. That's a tough question. I would be hesitant though because one of the gems of most of these books is like I loved in Transfer Power. Rafik Aziz and hearing from him on the inside I almost I mean I feel like that was first person the way I could hear I could hear Aziz's voice like speaking to me as he's like scheming and figuring out where his people are and how he's going to execute the mission so I feel like that's a strength I just I just think in this book I had too much of Hank Clark doing that in complicated ways while I had too much of Peter Cameron doing that in complicated ways so Sticking to Mitch's viewpoint on this book might have been a good move for me I, because right. I would have felt that tension of, and you said one of the winners was Mitch on the run. You yeah. know, when you feel like the third option is being turned on its head and going after you, I love that idea of, holy shit, what's he going to do as the most, the world's most trained operative. So that first person might've really worked for me in this book. And it could have, like, we could have really thought that, oh, shit, Irene Kennedy is trying to kill him. She know? might want to hit on him. Yeah, yeah. well, then, then it's a little too much born sounding, but. Uh, True. But yeah, you know. it would have been intriguing, especially because at this point, we wouldn't have known Kennedy and as well and had that rapport. Um, so I think that could have worked at this point in the story. It would have, I guess it would have been a risk. It's also not Vince's style. It's not his style, but it was just something that I, I thought I was thinking about when we were sort of talking about what we didn't like about the book. And then it led me to down this path of, 
well, what if the book was sort of told a little bit differently? So that's true. It, I, it's another one of those thought experiments that uh, that's actually making me think. That's a good question. Is there anything else you didn't like about it? Yeah, I I have to get this off my chest. Um, the endings, and I I don't want this to become a theme long term. But yet another book here where I'm I'm kind of petering out at the end. In here, we had at least the last. 15 pages maybe more this convoluted dialogue it was like we had so many moving pieces we needed to put the president in the oval office with stansfield just telling you the story you know oh we needed to bring in secretary of state middleton just to close his story let's bring in the next guy and close his story and it ended up being a fill in the gaps wrap up the story have some dialogue to tell us how it closed no i'll i'll say this there were some gems in there though. Yeah. Especially when it turned to Stansfield expressing to rap in front of the president, how honored he was to work with him and how he's the best of the best. But otherwise most of the dialogue, particularly in the oval office at the end, wasn't doing it for me. Yeah, I could see that. How about you? Was there anything that maybe didn't gel with you? No, that I, we didn't I cover. Just, no, I don't think so. All right. I'm, I'm curious now to uh, hear your final take on the book. Okay. What's your final rating of this book if you were going to give it a letter score and maybe a number out of 10? Right. So I gave it a B plus uh, and I gave it a, because I also gave term limits a B plus, but I'm getting ranking it higher than term limits. So I'm giving it a 7.7, you know, not quite an eight. You know, I did, I didn't obviously didn't dislike it as much as you do. Um, but I obviously didn't love it as much as transfer power. It's not in my top five. Uh, for sure, probably somewhere middle of the pack. Um, although it may be closer to the bottom if, if you know, we, you know, some of the middle ones are better. We'll have to definitely do a podcast on that in the future. But yeah, what did you end up? First off, I'm, I'm floored you put it higher than term limits. I mean, if anything, <laughs> this book made me want to rate term limits even higher. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I want to go back and put whatever it was, I think maybe a B or B plus on term limits. I want to jump that up to an A minus for sure, knowing what I know now about Coleman and the O'Rourke's. We're going to have to have a sliding scale, I feel like, because we, we're, as, as we're reading these, you know, things are, we're going to have to change our ratings, I think. Especially for me. I know you reread these more recently than me, but I actually read all of these books. As they came out. Yeah, so some of them over 10 years ago. And... I know you read them recently within the last couple of years. I reread them here and there, but it was spotty. Like maybe three years ago, I reread, you know, American Assassin because I liked it or whatever. So I'm definitely going to need a moving scale. <laughs> okay. But I gave it a C plus, a 5.5 out of 10. Harsh, harsh. I, I actually, I don't even know if I'd round that up to a six. Um, there were, there were a lot of scenes that were a plus lights out, uh, we talked about them quite a bit, right? There were some developments for characters that I loved and I'm, I'm all in on. If I'm looking at the book and the experience of reading it through, it was too much of a roller coaster for me. And large parts of that roller coaster were just like, where am I right now? What are we doing? It didn't cut it for me. So yeah, middle of the pack, slipping towards the bottom, maybe bottom five of all of Vince's work. That's going to be, I know that's going to, that's going to come off as harsh to a lot of people. Well, I mean, probably because most of it is, is still, while it's in uh, the bottom five, it's still decent. You know, it's not like atrocious. So, Yeah. And even better than decent, right? Like 
I've read a lot of paperbacks that I picked up that were complete trash and garbage. So <laughs> like me giving right. us a C plus is still like, it's a C plus that's in the top 10% of my favorite books and best books ever written in my right. regard. Right. So C plus in terms of what I know Vince is going to do for us in the future and what he already did for us. Right in transfer so power are, are these are these your prequel version like star wars prequel version like to the for vince you know what this it's like the opposite of when you see a star wars movie you leave the theater that was the best one ever that was amazing and then two days later you're like oh that was kind of crap it's the opposite <laughs> for me right it's like i know how good these are but when i finish it i'm i kind of want to critique it and pull it apart so it's like right. the opposite right. now the covers <laughs> I found a lot of versions. I, I've never seen half of these. I'll be honest with you. When I was looking these up, so we have A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, and I. So we have nine versions that I found at least online. Randomly. And you're going to post these on Twitter so our fan can can see them and vote on it, right? Yeah, a lot of our fans already should have seen these and and chimed in and told us what their favorites were. If you haven't, reply. Let us know. We have a graphic with all nine of these covers. So Chris, what's your favorite? My, I had to pick I. I, I might be biased because this is the version that was on my Kindle. I also like, sorry, I should describe this. I is this lion, which you're telling me is from the Ulysses S. Grant. Yeah. Just, uh, just West of the Capitol. It's often forgotten, but the Ulysses S. Grant uh, Memorial has these four lions. Yeah. And it's these lions that are looking at the Capitol building. And I like that. You have uh, G is the paperback that I own, non-Kindle version paperback that I own. Again, it's this trope that we see with a lot of these covers where you have a guy in a jacket walking down. Uh, he's not, doesn't look armed in this one, but wh where do you think he's walking, Mike? I wanted to say Union Station again. Yeah, but... it's just never in Union Station though. So yeah, again, a lot of times they pick these places that never have anything to do with it. That was throwing me off on um, a couple that I actually liked. So like C, I think is pretty cool. C completely changes the color scheme. It's uh, these light purples, almost this pastel. And it's a, a sunrise or maybe even a sunset. And there's a pier, a wooden pier going out into who knows what body of water because there's no body of water in this book. But um, there's an operative standing there with the hands behind his back, peering out into this sunrise sunset with all these purple hues. These things are cool, but they pick they pick areas. Like the last one, he's running through like a field with an electrical thing. Like they pick places that are, aren't in the actual book. Yeah, they drive me nuts. I thought A was pretty awesome. And A, yeah, like A, I like A. A, I didn't recognize this monument that? at first. Yeah, so I, my first thought was what we see is a round colonnade. And coming out of this round colonnade is a straight, tall column with a winged statue on top, a winged figure. And so at first... I was like, I don't know where that is. I, I was actually waiting to see this monument and the statue. And while it didn't figure prominently, it is in Berlin. Um, oh, okay. Gotcha, it, gotcha. Yeah, it's, it's a pretty big uh, monument in Berlin. Something to do with the, one of the, the Prussian wars, you know, I think okay. of the 18th century. But um, so the monument made sense for Berlin because the book does start there, but they right. never go to this monument. So I do like the contrast though. We got these light blue. It's a very like teal blue uh, sky with a, um, a silhouetted foreground with the, the statue in the middle of it. So that one was cool, but not my favorite. We have two retro ones that have just, you know, looking on the reflecting pool 
onto the Washington Monument. Pretty classic. You know, I, I think you could literally put this on any of the books and put the title on there. So those were my favorite. D really threw me for a loop. Why does it have a biohazard Dude, thing on I, there? I don't know, man. I saw that and I was like, I'm I'm striking D. The color composition is kind of cool. These faded reds and what and this bright white. It's but a fine cover without the It's got the biohazard the, symbol. The dead center. I don't know. That'd be okay. better for lethal agent. All right. You, you got to give me E and I'm also biased because that's my copy, my paperback, but Ooh. it's also my favorite. I mean, it's that retro. I like the spider web. Ex exactly. It's a straight red and it's got this spider web and at the center of it is the presidential seal. And it's not just like a, a 2d image of the presidential seal. It's a 3d like bas relief ceramic almost. And it's right in the middle of the spider web. And that describes the third option for me. You know, like people get caught in the spider web of the third option, even when they're our own people, knowing rap was trying to, to run from them. So, and we also have like the spider web of lies, like between exactly like who's running stuff in, in the background, like with Hank and, and the politicians. Now, I included this one just because it popped up. It's the German version. And man, is this thing sweet. That definitely would have been my favorite if I knew any word in, uh, in German, but um, we got a pretty cool looking operative with a pistol in the air, the capital behind him. He's got this like, he's got this face. I don't think he looks like rap to me. I, I don't think he would be a good rap, this guy. He's a European rap. <laughs> he, he would definitely be the European rap, like wearing a leather jacket, looking all suave. He's like the Fabio rap. You know, like if rap had a long lost German cousin who's a you know fashion model, this would definitely be that version of rap. <laughs> <laughs> it's still kind of a badass cover i just I yeah no that is good cover yeah i mitch rap thriller yeah <laughs> so we're interested to hear from from you guys what you liked about this we'll, we'll talk about it bring it up briefly in our next pod please don't burn me too much for giving a vince flynn book a c plus remember it is relative right a c plus relative to the great works that we know are coming right so that is the third option so we're now three books down a lot to go. Yeah. What are we going to be covering next on the podcast? Right. So in our next podcast, we're going to be releasing a bonus episode centered on a topic from the third option. And in this one, we're going to be doing another movie watch and discussion. So from this, we sort of were thinking about what, what we could do. And one of the prevalent things in this is the third option, the, the CIA, the, the extra actions that our nation takes as for counterterrorism. And so we were looking for... Um, movies that covered the CIA and we found this uh, documentary on Showtime got an 8 on IMDb and it's called The Spy Masters CIA in the Crosshairs and it's a bunch of collection of interviews from I think like 7 or 8 past uh, CIA directors so hopefully you guys watch that and you can hear our commentary on that and be look, look out for that um, mid-month so I'm excited you found this documentary because we're no experts on right the clandestine service or even the military. And this documentary seems to give us in their own words, uh, the former directors of the CIA and combine that with the Stansfield storyline of him passing the reins and passing the torch to Irene Kennedy. I mean, I think it's going to be awesome to discuss this and hear in their own words what a lot of uh, DCIs of the past had to say. And also, we're going to be releasing a brief but exciting announcement about how you could potentially help us support this podcast and get exclusive content. So please be on the lookout uh, and listen to that. Please subscribe, 
rate and review us using your favorite podcasting platform. You can find us online at midtrabpod.com or using our Twitter handle at midtrabpod. And as always, just let Mitch be Mitch. Guys, we, we're just simply two fans offering a discussion and reviews of some of our favorite books and characters. This podcast is not officially affiliated with Vince Flynn, Kyle Mills, or Simon & Schuster. But thank you to them for bringing us this wonderful world of Mitch Rapp.